So, um, because the little bit of a, this is surprise, surprise it's me, and it was a surprise to me as well. So, I am, I'm doing actually a message that I did a couple of weeks ago up in Auckland. And yeah, so that was quite good. I had a message already that you guys hadn't heard from me. And I tweaked it a little bit this morning just as I reread my notes and just asking Holy Spirit what he wants to say to us this morning as I bring this message. So I wrote this message for a church in Auckland. They were doing a, a, a whakapapa series looking at our whakapapa as the church, the big church, the global church. And my part of it, they asked me to come and share uh, some thoughts and some stories about our whakapapa as a church in New Zealand. So that is where I'm heading this morning. And now my slides, I couldn't open my slides and change some of these. So this was for our Auckland whānau. <laughs> like you guys have mostly all seen my family. Uh, and the terrible thing about this photo is, as a bunch, us Tates can never coordinate ourselves to all look good in a photo at once. Now I am normally the one that's looking a bit off. Uh, Hannah is often very bad as well. She has the thing with her eyes are... Sorry, Hannah. I love you, Hannah. But <laughs> her eyes are always closed is what I was going to say. Her eyes are always closed. In almost every photo, her eyes are closed. And in this photo, the dog looks terrible. So I, this, is the best, this is the best that it gets. And the dog, the dog is the one we sacrifice because that's a bit better than Hannah. So, you know... Hannah's looking good in this one. Doggy, not so much. <laughs> cool. So um, a, a whakatoki that you may know, it's quite a famous one, is Kamua Kamuri. I think I have a slide. Yeah, Kamua Kamuri, which is the concept of walking backwards into the future. And you can think about this maybe as a, a rower, as Mahi Drysdale, propelling himself backwards as he looks into what has gone before. So he's propelling himself backwards into the future as he looks. What he is seeing is what has gone before him. And whakapapa, just a straight translation, means to place layers on top of one another. Which is quite a good visual for whakapapa, isn't it? Because whakapapa um, is our genealogy. It's a framework for our ancestry that helps us to know who we are and where we've come from. And through this concept of whakapapa, as a church, as the church, capitalised, the church global, we are part of a, a big story, aren't we, that has been going on for centuries before us. And then in Aotearoa, we have... Papa, here is our part of the church down at the bottom of the globe here we have our own whakapapa too and uh, we live in the legacy of it and we have responsibility as participants as the story continues to go on now and eventually goes beyond us and if you've seen or read 
The Voyage of the Dawn Treader by C.S. Lewis, or maybe you've seen the movie. You may recognise this scene. So in this scene, Lucy and Edward, they're looking at a picture, and something about it looks familiar, and they're both just staring at it, commenting to each other about this, and then something happens. They start to feel the sea breeze on their faces, and then water starts to trickle out of the photo until it's gushing, and it's filling up the room. And then all of a sudden, they're pulled into the story, and they pop up in Narnia. And I feel like this story, this part of the story, is a great illustration of how sometimes we can look at the scriptures or look at history like a stagnant picture, just as an observer, almost emotionally detached, just reading a story, just something that happened, and it has no meaning in the sense of emotion to us sometimes because it's like a stagnant picture. But as we see in this scene, Lucy and Edward go from being observers to being part of the story. They become caught up in it. And as we look at our whakapapa this morning, we can immerse ourselves in the story to see what God has done and what he is doing, so we can walk better informed into the future. And if you know about the, sto- the history of Te Rungapai, the gospel, um, and the church being established and formed in this land, you will know there are a lot of stories. There's heaps of stories. There's so much that we could unpack together this morning. But I'm just going to touch on a few threads. I'm just going to pull on a few of the threads this morning and um, look at some of the inheritance for us as a church. And so some of the stories I tell you, you may know, and some of them are my own, but these stories are of people who lived and walked in this whenua like you and I do today. So Genesis 1, 1 to 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So right from the very beginning, God has been here. The Spirit of God has been hovering over Aotearoa. And in 1766, there was a Māori prophet named Toiro, if you've ever heard of him, and he foresaw the arrival of the first Europeans. And in that year, he had um, a number of visions that were very detailed, and so much detailed so that he would go around to villages visiting and describing what he saw to the different people at the different villages. And he saw things like um, the pipes that these unknown people smoked, and he'd draw them in the, in the dirt sometimes for them, or the clothing, what the clothing looked like, or even the boats, the vessels that they used for travel. Uh, he saw all these things and visions, and he ran around the villages. And um, I think through the Spirit of God, he was preparing people for something new. 
And in that same year at Mahia Peninsula, if you've ever been for a lovely holiday in Mahia, um, he prophesied about these unknown people, saying, Te ingoa o te rātou, o tō rātou atua, ko tama i roro kutia, he atua pai, o tira, kangaro ano te tangata, which translated means the name of their God will be Tamirorokutia, son who was killed, a good God. However, the people will still be oppressed. Uh, you may recognize this. If you are old enough to recognize uh, this prophecy, you might have, well, not in 1766. There's none of us, none of us old enough for that. But what I'm referring to is an album by Cindy Rokiri called Karanga. I think it was uh, in the early 2000s, maybe, something like that. And on it, one of the songs is called Kōte Ingoa, and it has um, a verse or two that goes, Kōte Ingoa Tafeto, Tama e Rorokutia. But now we call you the son who was raised to life. So Kōte Ingoa Tafeto, Tama e Rorokutia, is like saying your old name was the son who was killed, but now we call you the son who was raised to life. So then we go forward from 1766 to 1814. That's 28 years later. And this is on Christmas Day. The story comes from. And on Christmas Day at Rangihoa in the Bay of Islands, Samuel Marsden preached the first public gospel message. And he was invited by a respected chief from Napuhi called Ruatara. And Ruatara had met Samuel Marsden a, about a year before. And he had spoken with Samuel Marsden and had received the good news. And so he, for a year, prepared for this gathering to happen. And for a year, he spoke to chiefs about coming and hearing what Samuel Marsden had to say. So on that day in 1814, Christmas Day, um, Ruatara had gathered about three to 400 Māori with their chiefs, and they were eager to hear what Samuel Marsden was going to say. And Ruatara translated his message. And those gathered responded to his message uh, with joy, and they performed a haka called Te Hari Anapohi with key phrases, kanukunuku kanekeneke which describes the process of shifting and changing and making space. And another phrase in the haka is mehe pipi whareroa. And this is a bird that heads off in the winter and comes back in the spring. And so the, the, the pipi whareroa is the native shining cuckoo of New Zealand and it heralds in the spring. which is quite significant when you think about that, isn't it? And we can talk about that a little bit later. But the gospel message took time to build from here, but it did. And people were drawn to the son who was raised to life. In 1823, Henry Williams arrives, and things start to really progress when Hen Henry Williams arrives. And what he did was he changed the focus of the mission from being getting Māori to operate in European society, thinking that that would help Māori to receive the, the gospel better. 
and um, he changed his focus to teaching people about Jesus in their own language. And he was interested in discipleship rather than conversion. And then a couple of years later, to also help with what Henry Williams was doing, his brother, William Williams, arrives in 1826, and he had a real gift for language. And he had begun learning te reo Māori as soon as he hit the ground here, basically, and he translated the Bible, well, the New Testament, completely by the time it was 1837. So just over 10 years, he was able to learn the language and translate it into the New Testament. What an incredible gift. And so in 1830 to 1850, there was a massive move of God. After receiving Te Rungapai from the missionaries, uh, Māori teachers and evangelists emerged and took the message of Jesus throughout the villages throughout the country. And peace and blessing were over the land. There was, there's lots of stories of enemies reconciling, and people were putting aside the custom of utu, which is revenge, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth sort of a concept. And over this time, the move of God was so phenomenal that the British government actually commissioned a survey to be done. And these findings showed that the overwhelming majority of Māori professed Christianity. Imagine that. Imagine if our nation now, if the overwhelming majority professed faith in Jesus. That's a pretty powerful move of God. And so I'll just share some of these stories of the gospel spreading. And so one of these you may know is quite a famous one is Tarori's story. So Tarori was the daughter of Nakuku. He was a Ngāti Hoa chief, and Tarori attended the mission school at Matamata. And that's where she learned to read, and she learned more about Jesus there. Uh, but she also learned about Jesus from her father. Her father was a Christian as well. And he had gifted her uh, the Gospel of Luke, what she wore around her neck. And as a 10-year-old girl, she was quite an amazing young lady. And she was known to read to, well, recite um, portions of scripture that she had committed to memory. And she would recite them to over two to 300 of her people. Uh, but very tragically, um, life was still tough in those times. And on the 19th of October in 1836, she was killed. And she was 12. War had broken out between rival Iwi in the area and her father and um, another missionary, I forget his name now, uh, they were taking a group, evacuating a group over the, the Kaimai Ranges um, to, to just to try and get them into safer space. But overnight, uh, while they were sleeping, they were attacked and that's where Tarori lost her life. And the man that killed her, he took the Gospel of Luke that she had, and he took it back with him, and he was very intrigued by what the writings said, and so he sought the help of someone who could read and explain to him what was in these writings and what they meant, and upon reading these and hearing these and hearing about Jesus, uh, he became a Christian, and he came back and he sought out Nakuku 
to ask for forgiveness. And Nakuku made peace with him, and the iwis were at peace. And the amazing thing about this young lady's gospel is that very same gospel that travelled all the way down to Ōtaki, and it was the same gospel that was read to Tamihana Te Raupraha. You may have heard of his famous father, Te Raupraha. He's the one that wrote the haka the, that the All Blacks do. And this is his son. And so his father, his name was known throughout the mutu, and his son became a Christian, and he became a missionary. And he basically uh, went through the whole of the South Island telling people about Jesus. And what an incredible story that is, because he also had the story of his father to compete with before people would hear the goodness of Jesus as well. So he was a very brave man. And another just do my slides, my man. Thanks, buddy. Huani <laughs> Meihana, um, he was born Te Rangiotu, and you may know, have noticed, Rangiotu on your way down to Foxton. This is the sort of area that Huani Meihana came from. And so he took on the name Huani Meihana in 1840 when he was baptised, and he came to faith by a man called John Mason, and John Mason was a, a disciple or an underling of a man called Octavius Hadfield, if you've ever heard of him. And so Huani, he was known as a leader in his iwi, and he was very well known as a peacemaker in his area. And in 1866, a dispute broke out between two iwi, Rangatane and Ngāti Raukawa, over their iwi boundary lines. And it had gotten very heated, very hot, to the point where these two iwi were actually physically ready to face off. And they had muskets with them, and they were ready to do open warfare. And as the story goes, Huani Meihana came between them, and he held up his Bible, and he walked between them, and he brokered an incredible um, peace and negotiation between the iwi to, to draw out new boundary lines. And to commemorate the peace that was run between Rangatane and Ngāti Raukawa, a beautiful church was built. And you may know this church. It now serves as the marae for Rangatane, and it is called Rangimārie. He names it Rangamarie, Peace of Heaven. And something fantastic about Huani Mehana's story is that this marae, Rangamarie, a number of schools, up to 2,000 students a year, go and visit and stay at this marae, and they get to hear the story about how the gospel brought peace. This next story is one of my own, one of my own whānau story. And this is Wurumu Kingi Tu Tahuarangi Te Kawau. And the gospel has affected me and my whānau and my life today uh, because of the legacy of my tipuna. And he was the rangatira of Naitai in Tōrere, uh, near Apotiki on the Bay of Plenty. 
Oh, no, sorry, the East Coast. Is that the same place? I'm very terrible at geography. Very terrible. Bay of Plenty, Bay of Plenty. Yeah. I'd know how to get there if I was driving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. So my Tipuna, he became a Christian as a young man. He had an incredibly powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit at the Minahare, the Anglican Mission Church. And because of this incredible encounter that he had, most of our iwi also became Christians. They came to faith as well uh, because of the witness of his faith, not because not because he was the chief and he just put down the law and said we're all going to be followers of Jesus now, but the witness of his faith and what it had done in him um, led the rest of the iwi to Jesus as well. And we have a powerful mōtetia, which is a song um, of lament, like a psalm in our iwi, where he poured out his heart about an incident happened where he was caught up in a storm um, of rumour and pressure. And Tukuti, if you have heard of him, he was pursuing him to join the Ringatū faith. And then there were also rumours being spread that he had joined the Mormon faith. And then our neighbouring iwi who were Anglican were very cross about hearing these rumours. So the threat of war was very real for him and his people in this moment. And so to protect his iwi and look after his iwi and his whānau and himself, he set out by himself to go and confront these different groups and make it really clear about where he stood and what his faith was. And so in this mōtetia, which he wrote reflecting on this moment, he compares himself to a wife being faithful to her husband, that she could not have two husbands, and that he would not waver from his faith. And his courageous and steadfast faith is the reason that my iwi lives today. We're quite a small iwi. And um, it meant we avoided being swallowed up by the larger iwi surrounding us. And so my tupuna's faith has lived on through the generation and lives on in me and my children. And hopefully my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. This is just some pictures. This is the Whakarikia at our marae. So some of our nieces, and this is inside our Whakarikia. So what these stories illustrate is the power of Terongapai of the gospel to transform lives and communities. However, due to colonisation and its effects on Māori such as loss of land and culture and language, the powerful move of God that had been happening was dampened. This is my granddad on my mum's side of my family. And he radically came to faith in Jesus um, out of being an alcoholic. He had had a very a sad and a very tough life. And so when he came to Jesus, life was like night and day for him. And right up until his death, he would stop and talk to people on the street about Jesus. 
And so my granddad came to faith and into the church when a lot of churches around the country um, feared the unknown and suspected um, things like Whareunui, the, the meeting houses at Marae, or ceremonies like Pōwhiri, um, were associated with demonic influence. So he was discipled into an environment where to be a Christian meant you needed to be culturally Western and not Māori. And so for my grandfather, he was willing to give up anything for Jesus. So adopting Western style and practice of faith was what he did. And he put aside much of his Māori culture. And I remember my grandma um, telling me a story once um, that she took him to go and look at Dangiatia Church in Ōtaki. And this is a, a beautiful church that is done in both, as you can see, uh, Western and Māori style. And so they went to have a look, and my grandma was very much enjoying herself. It's in a historic church. But my granddad left and went and sat outside, and the reason was because he didn't feel like it felt right. And the sad thing is Jesus wasn't asking my granddad to put aside his culture. In a way, my grandfather's story reminds me a bit about Toiro's prophecy. The name of their God will be Tama Iroro Kutia, a good God, but the people will still be oppressed. And my grandfather met this good God, an amazing God, but without knowing it, the gospel messengers oppressed some of the richness that God had put in my granddad through his culture. And as I start to finish this morning, we have looked back to look forward. And hopefully, like Lucy and Edward, we have had an opportunity to immerse ourselves in the story of our whakapapa this morning. And just a, um, a question, a thought, what is our contribution to the story of Te Rongapai in Aotearoa? As Kurimako Vineyard Church in Aotearoa, as Christ followers in 2023, we have been placed in this specific land at this specific time. And knowing our history as a nation is important to go know God's heart for our nation. And like I've said before, having conversations about some of the tough stuff in our whakapapa is not about provoking guilt, it's about relationship. And in relationship, we grow together where we know each other's story, eh? And it opens up space where we can all celebrate the amazing stuff together, and together we can lament where we see injustice. So kamua kamuri, to walk backwards into the future. Another description I heard which captures the essence of this whakatauki really well is to walk humbly into the future. Like those from Napohi who were on, there on Christmas Day in 1814, we can take the humble position of making space. And the good news is God is still shifting and moving. And together, as participants in this story, we can listen.
for the song of the pipi whareroa, the shining kuku that heralds in the spring. Holy Spirit, calling us into new life, new opportunity, and new revelation. So as I finish, I ask us again, individually and as kurimakoa, what is our contribution to the story of Te Rungapai in Aotearoa, and maybe for some of us even beyond? So why don't, why don't you stand, and I'm just going to pray. Lord, give us your peace and your strength and your understanding for this day and the days that we are in. Help us to walk humbly into the future as participants of your ongoing story, honouring and glorifying you in all we do. Amen.